Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the broadening rally, whether it is finally time to believe in it. We'll ask the investment committee. Joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, Jim Laventhal, Steve Weiss. Let's check the markets here because... We're on rally watch yet again. Um, we're setting new fresh records for the S&P 500. You take a look at the Nasdaq, 16,059. That's significant because the all-time closing high on the Nasdaq is 16,057 and change, which means we're right now at a record closing high, at least for the Nasdaq. Intraday highs at 16,212. A little bit more work to do to get that, but we're going to watch that and certainly track it. Uh, all throughout Closing Bell to see what we do here. But uh, let's start here on, on halftime, uh, Jimmy. So we're up 14 of, of 15 weeks. It's like an unabated, for the most part, move. <laughs> I know. It, it makes me chuckle. I mean, you look at NVIDIA again today up 2.3%. What was it Friday? Up 3%? I don't remember. The day before that, probably the same thing. Uh, there just isn't that much going on in NVIDIA that merits it going up 2.3 to 3 point, uh, percentage points every day. What I think is more interesting, and I hear you, Scott, about the NASDAQ, but this morning I'm looking at uh, small caps and I'm looking at the equal weight S&P 500. You should be looking there because the Russell, Jimmy, uh, is just ripping it's again. It's ripping. It's up 1.8% at this moment. And let me skip to the punchline. It's got a lot more room to run. As much as the NASDAQ is knocking on the door of an all-time high and as much as uh, the S&P 500 is at an all-time high, the NASDAQ, excuse me, the S, uh, the Russell 2000 is about... Freudian slip. It's okay. Yeah, the Russell, <laughs> the Russell 2000. Lots of numbers here. Russell 2000 is almost 20% below its all-time high from two and a half years ago. Two and a half years ago. There is room to run. Now, I am a fundamental analyst, and I believe there has to be fundamental reasons for it to Climb that slope, and I think those fundamental reasons are intact. You are seeing that the fourth quarter earnings season from last year is coming in better than expectations. We are seeing projections for over 10% EPS growth this year in the market overall. But I think the sine qua non, what we really need to see is that inflation continue to come in better than expected. We're going to get CPI and PPI this week so that the Fed can take its foot off the brake and those small caps can really yeah. start to run as their financing costs go uh, go down. Hey, Weiss. The small caps are coming off the best week since December. Uh, is it finally time to believe in the broadening at a time where Wolf Research, for example, calls this full-on melt-up mode? And, you know, obviously everybody's watching momentum because that's been the, the gasoline behind this, this move. Um, but they also suggest that it is showing signs of broadening out. Is it finally time to believe in the broadening? That's how we start today's show. Yeah, you know, I, I, I do believe it is, and I have been broadening out, you know, because uh, last year is pretty much all mega, all mega cap all the time with me. But now, if you take a look, I've made a big move into aerospace and defense, as I've talked about before, and some others here and there. Uh, so I do think that they'll catch up, but I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be a wide brush. I still think it's got to be stock specific, because we still do have very high interest rates. 
And while Jimmy's right that the earnings are coming in better than expected, that's not true across all sectors. It's true because the big companies are reporting some great earnings, but you have other areas where it's pretty much lagging and being kind of punk. So you got to be very selective. Uh, but you're right, Scott, this is a momentum market. And I think the new poster child for momentum is Arm Holdings. I mean, take a look at that. This is purely, the quarter was good, but this is purely an indication of the melt-up that Wolf's talking about, because there's right. no reason for the stock to be up another 30 bucks today. So it's, a, it's people that don't want to miss out next NVIDIA, and that actually gives me some pause and leads me to believe that CPI aside tomorrow, because that'll be a blip, positive or negative, that gives me reason to believe that at some point, we've just got to consolidate and settle back. The, uh, that current look at ARM, by the way, doesn't even do the day justice because it was up 40% not that long ago. You can see the intraday, it's peeled off that. Um, and we're going to get to that in a moment and what the broader signals of that may be. But, you know, Barclays makes the case for value, Joe, cheap given its valuation, high exposure to real rates. Our, expo our expectation for continuing improvement in the economic data can further help value stocks. Um, is it finally time to, to to think that this can broaden out and stay broad? Forget yeah. about like you know a couple days here, a couple days there, like a meaningful move. The kind that Jimmy says has a lot to go. The kind so, that Tom Lee says small caps can go 50% higher this year. The fuel for it is the momentum itself. So as long as that fuel's in place, then yes, Scott, it can broaden out over an extended period of time. We know the fundamentals. The fund the fundamentals over the uh, fourth quarter of, of 2023 really set themselves in a very firm position. You're going to get a CPI print below 3% potentially the first time since March of 2021. So what has happened in 2024, and everyone keeps using this word momentum. Everyone keeps saying it's a momentum market. Okay, let's understand something. It hasn't been a momentum market for the better part of two and a half years. The dam in 2024 has broken open for the very first time in two and a half years. So this very powerful factor that if you go back over the last 20 years has outperformed the S&P 500 by a staggering amount. This, this factor is now firmly in place. And what has happened is initially it flooded into the areas of the market that we all knew. We flooded into the areas in 2023 like the mega caps that performed well. But there's only so much that can accept that capital. I totally and agree. And that capital, okay, is on autopilot. That capital is not doing financial analysis work. That capital is just seeking a home. And that's why it's looking at value right now, seeing it underperforming growth by 8%. It's looking at equal-weighted strategies, which are basically unchanged on the year. And it's looking at small caps. Joe, and if that momentum's still there, then yes, absolutely. Joe, out. I, I completely agree with your point, And I think it's corroborated by some of the internals underneath what we call the MAG7 or the market overall. I mean, as much as we're talking about NVIDIA, and, and we should, we're not talking about Apple. I mean, Apple's down almost 3% year to date. And to your point about really there are there is a limit to flows. There is a limit to capital flows. There's only so much capital that can enter the market on any given day. This year, it's been going to NVIDIA and a few others. Meta certainly has had one heck of a run, Amazon too. Um, but you're starting to see an easing off on Microsoft. You're starting to see an easing off on Apple as that money starts to flow into other areas of the markets. And what I've been trying to say the last couple of weeks, folks, 
is it evolves. It isn't a snap of the fingers and all of a sudden all the money goes from the mag seven to small cap. It evolves over weeks and a few cracks start to show like you're seeing in Apple today and then it starts to form in the small caps which absolutely have momentum. You just better right hope now. that like, you know, yeah, CPI yeah. for example comes in fine and it doesn't push rates up because rates, rates up, I know, I know, but I mean higher up because if rates go higher up, the Russell, for example, is likely to go down. Agreed. It's just been that correlation between the, the move in rates and the Russell has been pretty clear. I, I think though, so first well, of all, I think, Scott, I think rates, hang on Weiss, I'll come to you next. Hang I on. think rates okay. touch, touch okay. their highest level or, or close to it for 2024 this morning. But I, I, I think what, what, what you're uh, inferring is that we lose the disinflation narrative. Well, you just need that narrative to continue to right. go in you the right have direction. To have you have that. to have that. I, I, I'm it's the only you. reason I'm we are where we are. That. But if you, if you continue to get that, Scott, this is what a growth market looks like. This is a growth market. This is a market that sees the growth. This is a market that wants to price the growth, and it will pay it the premium for growth. Though, but Weiss. It wants to expand. Yeah, look, I, I, I'd say there's an issue with the Russell, and what's held it back is that you've got 18% or 15%, rather, of the Russell as financials. As we saw with the New York Community Bank, you're not out of the woods. Now, Jimmy may take the other side of that, but I think that'd be inaccurate given the facts in terms of what the refinancing bubble is ahead of us. So, and also, I don't see any slowing down of Microsoft whatsoever. Take a look at the chart. It's a beautiful chart that keeps going up and to the right. So where's the slowing? Now, I do agree that, that the sky doesn't, you know, there's some lid on it, right? It's not like the blue sky where you keep going and going. So you may see a broadening, but the earnings have to accompany the broadening. Otherwise, they'll just be trades. So I don't know if value's back. We've been hearing that value's back for the last decade. And it's not fact. And I do think that with the different type of buyers we have in the market, with the different type of things that have been working over the last few years, that you'll continue to see technology lead and make caps lead. If make caps don't lead, then the market's got a lid on it and it's going to trade down. So I just don't agree with that. I do think there's some catch up with the Russell, but I think that you can't get too complacent buying the Russell just because it's a catch up move. Stick with the fundamentals. Yeah, Trivariates Adam Parker was with me on Closing Bell on Friday and said, for investors trying to beat the S&P 500 long only, portfolios must contain at least 25% in the MAG-7. Absolutely. Well, no, that's, that's market weight, yeah. pretty much. That, that's right? market, no, market cap that's, weight is 30%. So that, that's a, a, a staggering amount. There's a lot of mandates that actually don't allow you to do that for uh, funds themselves. Uh, the fund that I, you know, we have is, is equally weighted, so I'm obviously going to have a different perspective on that. But I believe that the MAG-7, they're core holding. I mean, I, I don't think anyone's questioning that. That's a core secular holding within your portfolio. Well, that's, you know, obviously. And look, price targets continue to go up. Meta today to 555 at loop. Alphabet to 150 from 140. Broadcom to 1475 from 1,075. Um, that's it at UBS. So you, you continue to get the, you know, the street chasing these stocks higher as they continue to elevate um, as we said, almost unabated. That, that, that's an area of the market that you don't play the game of trying to time when you want to rent it, okay? That's an area of the market that you own. But let's be clear, I mean, I think there's other areas of the market that you could rent from time to time. And my, my remarks before regarding value in small caps and equal aid is completely related to that. I'm more than willing to acknowledge that for a, a period of time, you could rent those neglected areas of the market and do well. Yeah, well, Jimmy's making the point that you don't, you don't have to rent them anymore, that you can own them 
and you can invest in them for a long period of time because this is the moment. There's some risks. There are some risks. You pointed out one. If inflation comes in hot and the Fed's still going to, you know, keep its foot on the brake. I don't think it's going to happen, by the way. I mean, if you look at the revisions last week to CPI, if you look what's going on, used car shelter. But let's not get too deep into that. You know, I haven't been jabbing with Steve too much because the things he's saying could well be right. I mean, this New York Community Bank, like, looks like we dodged that bullet. But what if there's another one behind it? And my point is that I still am completely risk on, and I do think this market's going to rally. But you can't be oblivious to the risks, well, either that you're saying, Scott, or Steven. We're not oblivious to, you know, look, NVIDIA continues to amaze us. I, yeah. I, what else do you say? It's almost 740 bucks. It was just, just crossed 700. Now it's 740. It seemingly goes up all the time. We mentioned Arm Holdings was up 40% today. Yeah, it's a tiny float. And who knows why, what other reasons it continues to go up. It's just an unbelievable path. By the way, NVIDIA's market cap today passed Amazon's. Um, it's the first time, according to some reports, that that's happened in two decades. So we asked Christina Partzinevelos to come sit with us today and just take us through. This is incredible. Uh, you cover the space. I mean, you know, you look at it. You, I, I wonder what I know. what goes through your mind as you as you follow this. You I Jensen Wong over uh, he's in the Middle East today. Yeah, well, in yesterday Dubai. was making some comments. And uh, it's just just insane. His comments in the Middle East, though, were focused on just AI in general because they're in their quiet period and he's been pushing infrastructure. He said that they see about a trillion dollars in accelerator market uh, right now, and that could go up to two trillion. So keeping costs in check. But that's pretty much telling you there's going to be growth in 2025. So that's seen as a positive. To your point, Scott, and we're going to go over just some of the reasons. You've seen the stock, what, soar 53 percent just this year alone after rising 240 percent last year. Much of that happening more so in the second half of the year. So to answer your question, why? Why is everybody still so bullish on this name? First, talk about the big cloud companies, Meta, Microsoft, Alphabet, et cetera, Amazon, all promising to increase their capital expenditures. That means they're spending more money on GPUs, NVIDIA benefits. Secondly, NVIDIA is launching a new AI chip later this year, the B100, so that should help propel some momentum. NVIDIA also created a, I'm calling it a safe for China version AI chip and is reportedly taking orders right now, so that's keeping that 20% revenue pot intact. And then lastly, NVIDIA's software and enterprise business. We don't talk about it enough, but it's still nascent, still in the beginning stages. And this has led analysts to your point. You're talking about point increases, price targets. Amelius Research today, $920. The stock is 738 well, right that, now. That's got to be the high now on the street. Because right, wasn't it like a week ago we got, I think it was Goldman, went up to eight? Yeah, yeah. I think I have that actually on the chart. So Goldman, JP Morgan, uh, several of them have gone up within the you know, $750, $800 range. But now, 920, now we've crossed the 900 When are we going to hit 1,000, guys? When are we going to hit 1000 But the interesting point is the share price actually surpassing right now the average analyst price target for the first time in two years. There are, and I just want to, you know, we have to talk about the negatives, right? Yeah. Uh, Wolf, JP Morgan, a few are raising some Perceived. concerns. Perceived, right? Supply is coming back online, which means that lead times would shrink. Uh, competition ramping up not only in China from Huawei, but the custom chips. That's probably more of a long-term problem, but made in-house by Google, Meta. And then the obvious, Scott. The bar is so high for this company. So the size of the beaten guide up and the stock reaction could be the next test of investor conviction, I should say, and confidence, especially in the near term sustainability of this AI trade. So I'm, I'm looking at the, the chart now. The 52 week low on NVIDIA is two hundred and four dollars and twenty one cents. And here we go at near seven forty. That's Incredible. remarkable in and of itself. Now. Uh, big fans of the stock and those who've been in it a long time, Josh Brown, if you all recall, last week trimmed 20% of it. 
Aswath Damodaran, the so-called Dean Evaluation, NYU Stern. Um, he's owned it for a long time. He's owned it much lower. He talked about the valuation being insane. Now, the valuation actually, you know this, Christina, is actually cheaper today than the 10-year average. Mm -hmm. The price appreciation has just been startling to see, but the valuation is actually lower than where it was a year ago, and it's lower than its 10-year historical average as well. So then your bull case, right? That seems to be the narrative for anybody that's still in the stock and those that, you know, may be suffering from FOMO and are waiting for the earnings to come out. I think that's going to be the dichotomy. The fast traders that are either going to get out once they see that, what, $20 billion, $21 billion revenue number for the January quarter, or those that get in like ARM, right? They got in. There's a lot of FOMO traders getting in with that and the stock jumping well, 53% within two days. I felt like, Jimmy, you were, I felt like you were a FOMO trader in NVIDIA some 200 or $300 ago. It felt like you got sure. in. Let's, let's, when let's, did you get in? Remind us. 450. 450, right? Six months ago. And, and when you got in six months ago, Stop. it was kind of like, yeah. it's, it's like, oh, I'm missing out on the party. I'm fine. We had a big deal. I'm finally buying <laughs> NVIDIA at 450 six months ago. And here we are. Uh, closer to 750. Yeah, I, I mean, at the time, what you just described about the multiple coming in, Scott, had happened. And I'd never seen anything like this. And I don't think anybody had. You know, you go back this time a year ago, the Ford multiple was 60. And I think that's where the 10-year average was that you were just referring to. You know, it's whatever it is, 35, 36 30. times uh, Ford multiple. When somebody buys a stock at 60 times a year ago, they're expecting it to be 35 mm -hmm. times now. I think the question is, where does it go from here? And um, look, at some some point, not right now, folks, but at some point, this is going to be shown to be a cyclical company. What you were talking, I know, look at the raised eyebrows. <laughs> at some point, I'm not saying right no, now, no, maybe I, a yeah. year, maybe two years. But what you were saying, Christina, about competition maybe cropping up, you know, it, that will at some point happen. It's not right now. What I'm doing with this, and I said this to you Friday, Scott, is I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying the ride. It's really, really fun. But when this thing turns over, I'm going to trim some. I mean, the only reason I'm riding it and not trimming it now is because it goes up every frickin' day. I know, Every but, day. but if you're expecting it to, to roll over at some point and go down, so, you're going to wait? Yes. Because if, if that day happens where it goes down hard... How you hard? Know, I don't Put know. Put a number on it. I don't 10%? know. 10%? If it goes down, I'm sorry to know. cut you off. It goes the down. You, the, it goes, the faster you go up, the harder down. they fall. Somebody I mean, said this, that someday, this, you know? Yes, I think it was Jimmy Cliff. <laughs> um, you know, I guess this is what uh, laughing gas is like. If it goes 10% down tomorrow, it's going to be right where it was a week ago. I can live with that. So you I'm wanna... just curious, though, what do you tell investors that haven't gotten in? And you were, you were hesitant, what, at 400 bucks, and now it's seven-something. I know we're seeing a price target of 900 What do you do? Yeah. Do you okay. get in? Do you wait? So here's, here's what I would do if I were not in it, right? So I had a 2% position that's roughly 3% now. If I held nothing in it, I would find an opportunity to buy 1% so that I'm at least in it. And this stock, over many, many years, you'll have opportunities just, to add to it. I think Joe it. just shook his head no, no way. Not here. Not here. If you own none of it. Well, none if you own none of it, why would you feel, there, why do you have to be there, in it now? There's, there's, look at this, look at this thing. I mean, so I've what? never seen there anything like I've been in the stock market I, I for own two years. <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth. There are other, other names within the, the industry that are benefiting from AI. Look, the, 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 the most compelling thing that you could say is that you can't find the type of capex that this company is benefiting from anywhere in the universe of publicly traded companies. You can't. The capex is absolutely staggering, but there's other companies that are benefiting from that as well. And without question, what is it? It's fourth largest company in the world by market cap today. Yeah. It's gonna take out Alphabet in literally a month or so, so it'll be number three. But the one thing you always have to think about with this company, where it is today, 
is they have still supply chain dependency. That's the one thing that makes me concerned about this company. Because you know what? Taiwan Semi might be in Arizona, but that Arizona fab plant is not going to be able to produce the way that they produce overseas. And that's a risk. Jimmy uses words that I'm sure some people are listening to the conversation and reminding themselves that those are the kinds of words that people have used in the past, either at tops, not suggesting this is, or moments of euphoria, um, not suggesting necessarily this is, oh, if you don't own any, you got to get in, look at it, it goes up every day. I said 1%, right? I, I understand, but, you know, still. Some would take it as a warning sign that it's that it's going up every okay. day. Weiss, you don't own okay. it. Um, you know, look. It's a little harsh, yeah. but okay. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm sure so, there, are, there are a few people who are listening to the conversation okay. sorry, you know, coming away with, with that conclusion. This is the kind of talk that happens in times that have gotten a little euphoric. Weiss. It, it, it is. And, and to be candid, every day I look at it and say, why don't I own this? And I do look at, at what the, the PE is on this stock, and I do look at what the growth is in earnings and revenue, and you can sort of justify that PE. You really can. Not only because it's below the 10-year average, but because this is a unicorn, except supply will come on. So that's why I own Taiwan Semi. It's got a mid-teens multiple, and guess who makes the chips? For them, for Google, for Microsoft, for everybody. It's Taiwan Semi. And I don't really think I've thought a lot about the risk from China and their being in Taiwan and what goes on geopolitically there, but I'm not really worried about it. I'm not ignoring it. I'm just not worried about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't, but then when I go back to an arm and I look at that, arm is selling at a PE that is more than double of what NVIDIA is. So is that the bar that we should look at now? So there's some lunacy that goes in the market, and I don't think it's just related to ARM. I think you do, you obviously have momentum in NVIDIA. Look, as Jimmy pointed out, the fundamentals aren't changing every day, and there's no new news coming out of the company. So what's your justification for taking the price target that much higher? Yeah. It's because, on a cyclical company, by the way, it's because somebody wants to be the top. They want to get the phone calls from the investors saying, you're up there, tell me why that's your price target. So it goes back to playing the research game and II, all that other stuff. But look, the stock will come down, hopefully at some point I can get in. But I wouldn't be surprised if I bought it. If this quarter comes out, it's a quarter like the previous quarters, then maybe I won't have an opportunity. But I would look at it again and say, why don't I own this thing? Because intellectually, it's not like your typical semi-company where the technology is all where they don't continue to innovate. This is different. Jensen Wong has proven that he can continue to innovate. And going to Christina's point about the enterprise business, imagine they can't do it legally, but imagine if they message. If you want to use our, if you want our chip production, then maybe you've got to start looking at the whole suite of products we have. And you'll see tremendous growth in, out of the enterprise and other businesses. So that's really what could be the silver lining here. The, um, the, the last point before we take a break, and Christina, thanks, but, but stay, um, is a, away from NVIDIA, the idea that the overall NASDAQ is just way overextended. I thought the context that Mike Santoli gave me on Closing Bell on Friday was important to repeat here in terms of 
whether we're really overextended, we're not that overextended. It's hard to say you're super overextended. These are his words from, from Friday, and then we can discuss quickly. The NASDAQ 100, for as much as it's been the source of most of the upside, it's still any kind of lower valuation than it was last July and at the end of 2021. So it doesn't mean it's cheap. It just means it's been crazier. It's, it's, important, it's important context. If you go back three years, it's just the NASDAQ. It's still not at its peak. If you go back three years, it's impressive given how bad 2022 was, but it's a reminder that you're, if you're just doing round trips over the course of a couple of years, the picture you're looking at today has much, much more uh, context needed for it than just to make a quick blanket statement by virtue of a, an incredible move in the market. Perfectly stated. And what I would add to that is that earnings have begun to accelerate from the trough point, which was Q2 of last year. Remember, in the fall of 2022, the NASDAQ had its bear market. What did the NASDAQ see? It saw the earnings recession in the early part of 2023. That has troughed. Earnings have accelerated. So the earnings growth is concurrent with the actual price action that we're seeing. And that signals to the viewers, what are you watching for? You're watching for the deterioration in earnings growth if it were to occur for the NASDAQ. And well, that's, that's a what happened. Sign. That, that's just kind of what happened in, in 99, right? Didn't you get like, you know, a fine, finally you had yeah. a, yes. a moment yes. where you had a you know, there, was a dis, there was a disappointing earnings report, maybe a downgrade, whatever it was that, that caused the, the, tip, the tipping point, if you will. All right, we'll take a break. Christina, thank you. Christina Partsonovos, we'll come back. Uh, we do have some committee moves to tell you about. Weiss is selling a name. We're going to walk you through that. Plus, Diamondback, it's jumping today on its deal to buy Endeavor. We have ownership on the committee as well. We'll give you those trades in just a couple minutes when we come back. Green across the board. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back. Let's get to some committee moves today from Steve Weiss. So you sold Deer. Why did you do that? 
Well, Deere's been a trade, so I'm not committed to it. And with a trade, you have to be disciplined. So in my view, the stock trades between 370 and 400. That's been pretty consistent. I've been able to make money most times. So as you recall, I sold half of it a while ago, and then it just started to break down. So I'm not committed to it as I would be if I owned a fundamental stock, like Meta, for example, I'm being willing to tolerate volatility and earnings. So when they report on the 15th this week, I have concerns about the ag business, which is the predominant business that they have. Construction, if it follows cash, should do okay. But again, not being committed to it, I'm mm -hmm. committed to my discipline trading, so that's why I exited. Well, when you say you have concern over their ag business, I mean, you also sold most of ADM, Archer Daniels Midland, yeah. which fits into the same theme, but you didn't explain what the concerns about the ag business are. Presumably, they carry to that stock too? Uh, actually not. Uh, Archer Daniels is really a buy based upon them putting the CFO on leave because he was uh, inflating numbers in a very small segment of the company. And the company came out and said, hey, we're still holding to our guidance. The reason I sold three quarters of the position was that now the SEC referred it to the Department of Justice. So I still think the outcomes are going to be the same. It's just going to take much longer now for it to play out. So I have better uses of that capital. So for me, ADM is dead money. You don't go into a trade for dead money. Now, if they get a clean bill of health, I don't mind owning it because I think there's 20, 25% upside in the stock immediately when they close the doors or close the books on the investigation. I just don't expect that to happen. So ADM could have been in the machinery business. It could have been in the tech business. I was agnostic as towards the business that it was in. All right. No, I appreciate you explaining that. I want to jump ahead to, uh, to Berkshire Hathaway. Can we take a look at where that stock is, uh, is currently trading? Because it was above $600,000 a share last week. It's looking for a trillion dollar valuation. I don't, I don't, I don't know how shy we are of, of that. Maybe we, can, maybe we can look that up. Uh, those are the B shares. You could, you, could, you could take a look at the, um, at the A shares. Why don't we put that up? Jimmy owns the B, but let's take a look at the A. That's, that's, that's ostensibly what we're, what we're talking about here, uh, obviously. It's uh, just shy of, of 600. Uh, you, now, the reason I wanted to do this first is because you move this out of the Joe T with the most recent rebounds, to which I was kind of surprised the day that you revealed all of that, and I think I, I said as much on, on the program, because to me, I couldn't understand at the time how it didn't fit in quality, check the box, and momentum. The thing obviously has momentum. So just, I just wanted you to explain that once again for yeah, people it, who look at it going up and be like, why did he get rid of it? Okay, so for those that know this company really well, there, there's the way the financial construction of the company is, is that the return on equity and the debt to equity figures are never going to be strong enough to meet the rule requirement that we have in our quality momentum strategy. It doesn't mean it's not a quality company, it is. But we're looking at two metrics that Berkshire, the way the, the various diversified businesses as a conglomerate are all put together. It's never going to meet? It's never going to, it's always going to well, have why a was low, it in there to it's going to have then? a low score on return How on equity. How did it equity. get in there in the first place? Because you saw a dramatic acceleration in the momentum factor over the third quarter of 2023, uh, 2024 rather, 2023 rather, 
And that got us in almost on a rental basis for what proved to be a really good trade. Um, we began to see the momentum flattening out, and that was a reason for the return on equity and the debt to equity scores beginning to be illuminated and ha uh, have more value overall. So let's remember something. Yes, Berkshire was taken out of the ETF, but we added eight financials at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy that we did. KKR is up 12% since we did it. Blackstone's up 5%. Ameriprise is up 4%. Discover's up 5%. So it worked out to our advantage. All right, Jimmy, quickly, because you're in the B. You're in the B yeah. series. Oh, look, there's a lot of moving parts to Berkshire. I think we can rule out that Apple is what's moving Berkshire higher. We think we can rule that out. Probably the other two parts as I list it, one is the insurance business. We've seen insurers do very well recently. But then there's all those operating, mainly industrial businesses that they own. Look at what's been going on with railroads like Union Pacific. And then remember that Berkshire owns Burlington Northern Santa Fe. Maybe there's some enthusiasm for the Oxy deal as well. Or Precision Cast Parts, which is another privately owned aerospace business that they own. I think really what's propelling Berkshire higher is economic strength in the U.S., which is flowing through to their privately held, mainly industrial companies. All right. Up next, we're taking you live to Miami for the world's biggest ETF conference. AI, the Mac 7, Bitcoin. By the way, Bitcoin's on the move, too. Uh, they're all big themes this year. Papazani joins us with a special ETF Edge next. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Welcome back. I'm Julie Borston with the latest headlines. President Biden will meet with Jordan's King Abdullah II at the White House today to discuss Gaza and to find an end to the crisis in the region. It's the first meeting between the two leaders since three American soldiers were killed in a drone strike at a base in Jordan last month. The Israel Defense Forces say it found a Hamas tunnel complex under the U.N. aid agency headquarters in Gaza. In a post on X, the IDF claimed that the tunnel contained a electrical infrastructure that had rows of computer servers that used power from the agency's building. Per a report from the Associated Press, it's unclear whether operations were carried out from the tunnel. And a sad day in the world of running, Kelvin Kiptum, the world record holder for the marathon, was killed in a car crash along with his coach in Kenya overnight. Just last week, the International Track Federation ratified the world record he set last year at the Chicago Marathon. Kiptum was just 24 years old. Back over to you. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Let's get down to Miami now for Bob Pisani's ETF edge. Hey, Bob. Tough assignment once again, Scott. We're sure here. 2,000 attendees are descending on Miami Beach. God, we're on the beach right behind me, folks. This is the annual Exchange ETF Conference. The industry now has $8 trillion in assets in the U.S., but it needs to keep growing. Let's talk about it. What's hot and what's not in ETS? Tom Lydon from TMX Vetify, the conference organizer, and Dave Matza from Roundhill, who runs one of the current hot ETFs. That's the Roundhill Magnificent 7 ETF. What else is going on? Tom, you're always here with us. What's, give me 
two, three, four hot trends right now. What's everybody talking about? Spot Bitcoin right out of the gate, Bob, this year. We had nine issuers and $10 billion in 30 days. Not bad at all. AI is also very, very Artificial hot. intelligence. Artificial intelligence is, is really storming. And then also, when we talk about Magnificent Seven, you have to be there, but at the same time, how do you plan against the volatility as well? That's one of the things we're talking this about. This AI thing is amazing here. They're not doing how you pick AI ETFs. Right. They're talking about how you use AI to run your business, to run your the business of being a financial advisor. How is that changing? What Jason Peralta on stage talking about how advisors can set up their own podcast. How do you customize content to different clients as well? If you embrace AI, it's really good as an advisor to be able to Increase the size of your business, but connect with your clients more specifically. Dave, you've got the hot ETF. Magnificent Seven launched a year ago. Much derision, too much concentration, and yet here you are raking in money right now. Six of the seven have reported uh, earnings so far. What's next for this group? Over? Yeah, no, there's been a lot of attention on the Magnificent Seven because their performance has been so magnificent. And with six of the seven ha having reported earnings, the momentum remains there. These companies are growing their top-line sales growth at, four at 14%. If you look at the other 493, it's only two. So investors in a low economic growth environment are flying locking toward high growth. I want to make it clear the, the structure of this. This is equal weighted, all seven equal weighted, and it's rebalanced quarterly. Yes. That's an important distinction here. But uh, th there's a panel here. The financial advisors are really worried about concentration risks. There's a whole panel about broadening out. There's talk about quality, like QUAL, quality ETF, as an alternative, momentum ETFs as an alternative. Can you make a case that these co seven companies are so exceptional that they're going to continue to outperform even broader quality ETFs, for example? You understand the worry about the concentration risk. I get it. The Magnificent Seven as a group is now trading over 30 times uh, forward earnings, and it makes sense. People get concerned when there's so much concentration. But what's interesting is these aren't just seven companies. There are seven stocks. Inside of those seven stocks, there's actually thousands of companies. Yeah, I've heard you make this argument before. Low economic growth world, these are the companies that have economic growth. But as you mentioned, 30 times forward P.E. ratios here. Can they continue to deliver on, on the promise uh, of high growth, of uh, consistently high sales, consistently strong margin growth. That's what's going to take to get these amazing moves forward. They're up 13%. Your fund's up 13% in five weeks. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Time, of course, will tell. I can't predict the future. But again, right now, that is where the momentum is, a focus on high growth and high margins. Tom, one thing I don't see here, not a single panel, international investing. China has gone away. It was the hot topic for years. Not a single panel discussing China. Investors are fleeing. There's a whole crop of ex-China ETFs that are out there right now. Why has everyone abandoned international investment? Advisors right now are, are scared of emerging markets, specifically China. They're picking the content here on stage. Bob, they don't want to hear about it right now. Historically, that's pretty much a good buy signal, isn't it? Where do we go from here now? The Bitcoin ETFs, we've got nine of them presenting here. They're all over the place pushing this on the financial advising community. And yet the, a lot of the advisors are terrified of the legal consequences. Is this an industry that can now safely recommend Bitcoin ETF, Bitcoin for grandmas? We like do a bitwise survey every year, uh, Vetify does, and more advisors than ever are now comfortable making allocations. Most importantly, Bob, fixed income is the, going to be the hot topic here. You're going to be on with Jeff Gunlock talking yeah, about tomorrow. rates. Bitcoin just.
popped over 50,000, by the way, guys. Thanks very much. Pleasure talking to both of you. Much more coming up on the hot ETF trends in 2024. That's coming up. ETF Edge, 1.10 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll talk to Tony Rockney from Morgan Stanley, Rob Harvey, the vice president of Dimensional Funds Advisors, ETFedge.cnbc.com. Much more coming up there. Scotty, back to you. All right, Bob. Appreciate that very much. That's Bob Fazzani. Coming up, three bullish calls on three committee stocks. We have the trades ahead on Applied Materials, Arista Networks, and Netflix when halftime comes right back. All right, we're back. We have a couple of record highs today, uh, intraday-wise. Applied Materials, price target, Gets raised to Morgan Stanley, Joe, to 190. And Arista is added to Citi's list of, quote, high conviction tech stocks. Let's do applied first. Both record intraday highs. Uh, both report this week, by the way, as well. Mm-hmm. Applied, AMAT. Applied. Uh, so Lamb Research and Clack already told you that the demand from China is resilient. KLA 10 Yep. Memory chips, very strong. Uh, reporting on Thursday, valuation is reasonable. I expect a good report. All right, so that's AMAT. Mm-hmm. 190 price target? I mean, it's basically there. Yeah. Arista, so again, high conviction uh, from City. They like the long-term exposure to uh, AI. AI, here we go. So this is where- Who the, doesn't? Well, this is where the universe of opportunity expands when you're, you're looking at what AI can bring. And this is cloud AI infrastructure for a company that's in the sweet spot for it again this should be a favorable report however it might be priced to where a very strong report is not enough also you mean price to perfection i don't want to use that word i don't want to say perfection but price to where uh corrective behavior post earnings might be warranted also got to mention cadence design Mm. it reports as well again this is exposure to AI, uh, this is a, a very strong revenue grower at 18%. It's been in the ETF since inception, and it is a phenomenal looking chart. All right, let's do Netflix, which was reiterated today at JP Morgan as being overweight, price target reiterated at 610. Weiss, it's been on the march. Uh, it's up more than 14%, yeah. 15% year to date. Yeah, I, you know, I started an initial position and I added to it slightly. It's still very small for me. But the way I look at it is they are by far, by far the leader. And that means that they've got the best content. And that means they'll be able to grow that ad business. And who knows what else they'll be able to do in terms of online gaming, et cetera. So that's why I own it. Look, it's a little expensive, but it's going to stay expensive because, as I said, they're the market leader. As everybody else cuts back on spending and tries to figure out what their strategy is, none of which is working for anybody else. Mm-hmm. So that's why I bought a little more. All right, good stuff. Thank you for that. Uh, quick break, then Mike Santoli on the other side with his midday word. We are back. Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli is here at the desk with his 
Midday Word. You're so good at putting context on what these markets are doing. I mentioned at the top of our program today what you said on Friday about the Nasdaq's move. Yeah. Now you're talking about the bull bear debate being trapped in the 90s. Explain. Yeah. It's almost as if this is the caricature version of the bull bear debate, which is we heard about all the 1999. I call it screaming 1999 in a crowded theater because, you know, it's sort of like the four digit word that the number that says, People are crazy. There's a mania. It's vulnerable. We're going down hard. And you can do the NVIDIA versus Cisco charts and all the rest of it. Um, I think that's vastly overstated, but you can also have an extremely concentrated market. Maybe it's in the late cycle as it was back then, where you did have a little bit too much momentum piled up in a short period of time. But otherwise, it doesn't seem like the setup is right. The trailing five-year return of the S&P at the end of 99 was 28% annualized, double what we've had just now. Okay, all that aside. 95 is the absolute dream, ideal soft landing scenario. And again, we've talked about this too. And a lot of the contours of this are visible, which is the Fed pivots after an aggressive tightening cycle. The economy does not stall. It slows, but doesn't stall. The Fed just does these three tweak rate cuts, no big deal, but the market just takes flight. And you had a a profit cycle that was enduring, a productivity cycle that kicked in, and then tech comes out of nowhere. And the thing is, we are so far, much farther along in terms of recognizing and capitalizing the technology opportunity now than we were in 1995. So this is not all going to match up perfectly well. Yeah. And uh, obviously, you've been watching what's happening with the Russell, uh, which is yeah. pretty amazing of, of, of late. It's starting to play along. And I, you know, I've been saying that the, both the Russell and the equal-weighted S&P, they, they pale in comparison to the market cap weighted ones and the stuff that's really been working. But in the abstract, just on their own, they've been fine. You know, like, like they haven't necessarily done anything uh, to, to cause you too much concern okay. just yet. Now, the market could be getting overheated short term, all that said. All right, see you on closing yeah. bell. That's Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator. We'll take a break, we'll come back, and we'll do final trades next. Eastern time. I hope you'll join me then because a retailing legend, Mickey Drexler, will be with me today. We'll talk about the state of the consumer, obviously. Dan Greenhouse, Sarah Nason Terrahano, by the way, is Goldman's head of family office. Can't wait to catch up with her again on the state of the markets. Weiss, final trade. What do you got? I'm back in Bitcoin as a trade. Stocks hit new 52-week high. It trades on technicals. I'm going to ride it for a little bit. Jimmy. NXP Semiconductor, new all-time high. Joey. Diamondback Energy. All right, good stuff. I'll see you in a couple hours. Uh, Closing bell. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer.
From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 